This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Elizabeth. It's so good to be back. Yes, and we are here today with someone that you're all familiar with, uh, Jen Wilkin. Hello, Jen. Hey, friends. Hey, Jen. Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you you guys? You you survived the snowpocalypse in in Texas. Yes. I'll tell you what, that thing was a trial for the nerves. And we, I I really can't complain. We didn't have it as badly as many of our neighbors did. We, We at least had occasional power. Mm-hmm. Um, but at one point, the first floor of my house was so cold that the detergent, the, the, uh, the, the detergent on my sink, um, for the dishes, the dish detergent got hard and solid. Oh, wow. Really? So I was like, well, I think that's too cold for me. So yeah, we are, we are not prepared. Yes. Oh, no. I know, um, my neighborhood loses power fairly often. It's on an old grid or something. I don't understand mm-hmm. it, but, um. That was one of the things is everybody was like, we could lose power because we also got a lot of ice and snow. Yeah. And so my friend was like, make sure your phone is charged. And I was like, if I lose power in like below freezing weather, my phone is really the least of my concerns. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can charge that like in my car. <laughs> well, I told my family, I said, this just reveals to me, it re- reinforces for me with even greater emphasis that in any apocalyptic scenario, I am the person that you boil and eat first. I'm like not, <laughs> not equipped to make it through the long haul. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no. Well, Jen, our audience is probably familiar with you, but let's tell us a little bit about your new book. You have a brand new book and a new Bible study coming with Lifeway. So tell us about those things. Well, the book is called 10 Words to Live By, Delighting in and Doing What God Commands. And spoiler alert, it is about the Ten Commandments. And so actually the release, uh, the the concurrent release of that book with the Bible study was a little bit of an accident just because I couldn't get the manuscript finished on the book. (laughs) So once again, procrastination has paid off in my favor. Um, But uh, the study is over the first 18 chapters of Exodus. So I've had Exodus on the brain quite a bit for um, for the last year or so and the study is called God of Deliverance yes we're super excited about that yes and there's you know a lot of people are going to think well I I know Exodus I know Mm -hmm. the story but there is there's just so much in Exodus and it really even from the start and so we kind of want to maybe dive into some of the theological questions or the issues that maybe surround some of the things in in Exodus and um, so anyway first of all we don't want to give um, too much away but uh, one of the things that we realize in the first part of Exodus is the midwives and how they are such a part of the story of of Moses so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, most people, whether even people who aren't Christians, know the story of the Exodus to some degree, usually because it's found its way into pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been, there's obviously there's the Charlton Heston movie that most people remember who are of a certain age. And then there's the later version that came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and so people know 
parts of this story at least, but almost without exception, if you ask people, um, what's the story of Exodus about? Um, they say, oh, it's about Moses and about, you know, when he was born. And, um, and the story for most people in their minds picks up with the birth of Moses. But the story in the Bible actually goes back before that and has this opening scene where these two women, Shifra and Pua, um, who are probably the head of the guild of midwives, we wouldn't expect that there would only be two midwives for all of Israel. Sure. So they're representatives. Right. They stand up to, to Pharaoh and, and they are the first emblematic introduction of um, the children of God fearing God more than Pharaoh and um, putting themselves at great risk to to protect uh, the chosen people of God. Yeah, I mean, like when we think about the deliverance of Israel, they their literal deliverance of babies was, you know, yeah. and the deliverance of Moses really does kind of play into that whole, like the, you know, the freedom of, of the slavery, you know, happening in Exodus. Well, that's one of the weird things is like in, in Christian vocabulary, we use words like born again, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, or delivered. I was delivered. Um, and I think we don't always, we've moved so far away with the metaphorical language from the literal, uh, that we forget that there are actually a lot of stories in the Bible that are literal deliverances, literal being born, um, that are pointing us toward, they're the shadow of that greater truth of our spiritual deliverance and our spiritual rebirth. And so uh, midwives at the beginning of Exodus is actually the most appropriate opening for a book that is about the birth of a nation. Yeah, I love um, how you do that in the study. And if you if you study God of Deliverance with us, you'll see that metaphor extended throughout the whole story of Exodus, um, you know, the first 18 chapters, which is mm -hmm. such a cool thing that I think, like you said, a lot of people maybe haven't thought of it in that way. And um, it's definitely something that once you see, once you start to see it, you like notice it more and more yeah. all over the Bible. Yeah. I think I think for as long as I have studied the book. And like, I, I originally put this study together and taught it about eight years ago. And, you know, I found it in the commentaries, like a pretty much, pretty much every commentary you read on Exodus says this is a birth narrative. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and, and various commentaries would might pick up some particular aspect of it, but it really has been spending just a really long time. You know, like there's been, I've sort of been uh, ruminating on it for, for the last eight years. Uh, and beginning to see, and, and even in the writing of the the book, um, Ten Words, just beginning to see how much was really there, how much symbolism is woven into the whole story and holding it together. It really is the the metaphorical glue for the for the whole book. Yeah. For sure. And when you think about the book that you wrote and, and you think about Exodus, of course, a lot of people will go to the Ten Commandments and go mm -hmm. to the Old Testament law. And so I think that one of the things that we we really have to remind, um, you know, the church and just people in general is that there is a new covenant established in Christ, but the Old Testament may still be relevant. So talk. let's talk about why is the Old Testament still relevant for us today? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of conversation about how um, because we're not under the law anymore, like we've heard Paul say that very clearly in the New Testament, and it matters to us, right? Because when you think about God's commands, I think we all know we've we've blown it like any quick read through of the Ten Commandments. Most of us 
at best are going to get an 80, you know, like we might <laughs> have 80 out of a hundred, you know, if you were giving yourself a grade, you know, you're like, well, I haven't committed adultery and I haven't murdered anybody, but the rest of them all, you know, you're, they, you kind of get hit by them. And some of us are more honest and realize our score is lower than that. Um, but because the Bible is so clear that God requires perfect obedience to his law. Mm -hmm. The law makes us deeply uncomfortable when we think about um, its implications. I and mean, it's the reason that we all deserve death. Um, and so then we rejoice, obviously, at the news of the one who keeps the law perfectly. Christ keeps the law perfectly, goes to the cross on our behalf. And so um, we are actually saved by obedience to the law. That is actually what saves us, but it's not our obedience. It's the obedience of Christ. Yeah. So but then we find ourselves, it, you know, as new covenant believers going, so now what? What do I do with, with the law? Am I done with it since I'm right. not under it anymore? Um, and, um, and that's where you start to hear people say things like, Christianity is about relationship. It's not about rules. Have mm -hmm. you guys heard people say that? <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And Why I, do you think is driving that? I, I think it's, you know, we, I thought about this a lot this year just with a lot of things going on with COVID, with polit politics, and just how much we value what we feel like is freedom. <laughs> and I think there's a, we probably have a little bit of a wrong definition of freedom, but mm -hmm. I think um, people look at verses like it's for free, uh, I've set you free. Um, mm -hmm. And like these verses in the Bible where Jesus has come to set us free and all this kind of stuff from the chains. Um, and I think we're just like, oh, you know, uh, we have freedom, so we don't have to worry about that because we, mm -hmm. there's so much grace in our, like, Jesus came to die for us, and he lived the perfect life, so we don't have to. Right. And um, it's it's just like all this stuff. I think we, we always tend toward one or the other. We tend well, toward, yeah. like, you know, legalism or freedom. <laughs> and, and like the New Testament talks about be holy as he is holy. And, right. you know, so you have to look at, what is holiness and how do we, we, we could never be holy on our own, but through, through Christ, right. we are made right and we're justified mm -hmm. through that, which I was even just doing our Easter study this morning and it was on, um, today's study was really taking a look at the, at the Lord's Supper mm -hmm. and, and just, I mean, it really tied together for me, just the whole scripture of the law. Of the and what happened in Exodus of the Passover. Mm -hmm. Here's mm -hmm. Jesus with his disciples celebrating the Passover, and he is the Lamb. He, I mean, you know, we, mm -hmm. he is, uh, he's the perfect sacrifice for the sin. But then he he says, you know, I will I will not do this again with you until we are together again. You know, until yeah. the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. And so you pull in Exodus, and then the Lord's Supper, and then Revelation. And you just go, what a beautiful story. What just a, mm -hmm. the beautiful picture of all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's a great deal of confusion, um, mm. even among believers, um, about whether the law is good or bad. Yeah. And I think even in the statement, um, Christianity is about relationship, not about rules. You hear those two things pitted against one another. Right. Um, and, and there is a, there is a, an underlying assumption in the minds of many that rules actually harm relationship. Uh, I see this in parenting a ton mm -hmm. that if I crack down on my kids, then they won't love me. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be slow to have a consequence when some, some child breaks a rule because I, I my main concern is that we have relationship. And um, when the law is given to the children of Israel at Sinai, it is given to them precisely so that relationship can be preserved. Right. Um, and this is why James makes a point of calling the law the law that gives freedom, because mm-hmm. it gives us the freedom to live in community with one another. So, yeah. you know, you think about uh, kind of the classic example of this in my mind is, um, and I've often asked this when I'll teach on this, is like, let's say you were going to substitute in in a in a kindergarten class this week, you're going to be a substitute teacher. And you can either be put in the class with the teacher who has told the kids to call her by her first name and just wants to love on them a whole lot. Or you can be in the class where the classroom rules are posted on the board and the teacher has trained them that they are to stay in their seats and raise their hands and, you know, talk one at a time. Um, which class would you want to, to <laughs> sub in? And everybody's like, well, that's an easy one, right? Right. Um, and those rules are posted on the classroom um, on the board because they are actually what enable that space to function in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how we should think about God's moral law. It transcends um, the 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 Old Testament. It the moral law is not canceled in the work of Christ. What happens is that we are able to appropriate it for our good. Um, through grace-driven effort, to borrow a term from a theologian. Uh, so it becomes for us the path of our sanctification. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is the reason we stand condemned and need justification, but then it, so it becomes the path of our holiness. And so we're not obeying because we want to earn God's favor. God, we have God's favor. Um, we don't obey because we have to. We obey because we want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I recently read um, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. I think that's Such his name. Such a good book. Yes. Yeah. And he kind of talked a little bit about that as well because God the Father is first a father. And so what that means, like that means so much for our relationship with him. It also means a lot for the law because like you said, you know, parenting, if you were to just like not have any rules, that does prevent you from having a quality relationship because mm-hmm. it's it, it's scary to not have any sort of rules like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you you see children who grow up in an environment where the rules are unclear mm-hmm. or the rules change all the time or maybe there are no rules. And generally they are not secure in who they are, in what they're doing. Um, I mean, that's a broad generalization. I know that, you know, situations are different, but they say to parents, you know, the, one of the things is to be consistent and to, um, you know, have a set set guidelines. And I think that uh, if we think about God as primarily a father and in relationship, the only way that we can enter into a relationship like that is if we know what, what the rules are. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so, well, and, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, and like Jesus also summed it all up in two rules. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will see that and be like, oh, well, then it does That's away with all easier. the others. Yeah, isn't that easier? <laughs> but yeah. if you – and you can speak to this too. I'm sure um, it's probably in your book as well, like how uh, those two roles, while it is only two, it's summing up the others. Yeah. So if you're really fulfilling <laughs> those two, then you're doing all ten <laughs> and, you know, a, more more than that even in the law. Um, yeah. If yeah. we extend it out past the Ten Commandments. So that's right. Yeah. 
Well, and that's a lot of the work that, that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, right. he says, mm-hmm. you thought all it meant was don't stab somebody when it says <laughs> you shall not murder. But guess what? It's way bigger than you thought. Yeah. And so, and that's really what the great commandment is doing. And a lot of people do think they're like, oh, look, we've gone all the way down to just two rules. And I'm like, nope, those are right. two rules that you <laughs> have to apply to every every human and divine interaction you will have. And also, um, like, those are the two hardest rules <laughs> like, yes. because they encompass everything else but if you go from like do not murder to love your neighbor as yourself like that's a lot harder than like just not murdering someone you know yeah yeah absolutely and I think I think what has happened is you've seen a pushback in Christian culture that is it it is important for us to say we don't want moralism we don't want people who are just behaving morally with no within certainly in, in the Christian community you don't want people to only care about being being moral and certainly not just for the purpose of looking good or self-elevating or self-protecting. Um, but often I think we have confused moralism with morality. Mm-hmm. Um, we do want to be moral people. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Morality is not the enemy. Morality, another word for morality would be sanctification, mm-hmm. um, holiness, right? Yeah. And the children of God are called to be moral people. And I would even extend that further to say in the same way, you know, there's been this big kerfuffle through the years about whether you should have the Ten Commandments posted at courthouses or not. And we don't need to get into all of that right now. But but what that is showing is an, an, a sense that it's good for society when people abide by certain moral codes, right? Mm-hmm. And that there are something like you're, you're not going to find a society that says murder is okay. Like these are right. these are things that are obviously good. Um, and help us to live in community with each other. Um, and so we know that the law is not bad, um, but we're, but but then you read Paul's words and you think, what do I do with that? And again, it's a distinction between how the law functions in the life of someone who uh, is has not accepted Christ yet. It condemns them, even when they're moral. Um, but it's still better to have moral pagans than to have immoral pagans. Right. Like that's do, better for yeah. all. Right. You know, it's better to raise a moral child who never comes to faith than to raise an immoral child who never comes to faith. Right. So and we expect um, justice. I mean, we want justice yeah, to happen yeah. when there is when there is an immoral act. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that goes to the verse, and I cannot remember where it is. I'm sure y'all know, but um, how, where the law is now written on our hearts. And so Ooh, is that in First, Second Corinthians? Anyway, I don't remember where it's written. <laughs> it is. It's in the Bible. It is written. Someone Google that. Well, it's, yes. it's in Jeremiah. It's the announcement okay. of the new. It's in the announcement of the new covenant in Jeremiah, yes. and then it does show up in the yes. New Testament as well. Okay, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I'm commu- I'm confusing it with the Corinthians where he says, uh, "You are our letters" or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so it's the law is now written on our hearts, and I think that is where we get this sense of like morality, where we do know that it is wrong to murder someone. And even, you you know, like you said, even pagans realize this. And so I think that's part of that is now it's written on our hearts and we don't have excuses uh, for not following it. Um, and for, for the believer, you know, we have to, we have to hear the words of Paul and say, yes, justification is a precious thing because the law was a burden to, it right. was crushing us. Um, but for the believer, we also have to reckon with the words of first John five, three, he says, for this is what, uh, love for God is mm-hmm. to keep his commands. And now his commands are not a burden. 
Like that's, that's what it says. Right. They're not, his commands are not burdensome is the way that the ESV yeah. says it. I just love it because we, if, if you read the 10 commandments and you think, ugh, you know, where's the love of God in you? If you, if you see them as for your good, for the good of your neighbor and, and, and to join you in right relationship with God, then, then they're not burdensome. They're the most joyful labor that you could ever engage in. Yes. Uh, I love how Paul David Tripp, I heard him say this on a podcast um, just in the last day or so, talking about how the cross was kind of that kiss between the anger of um, sin, the law of just the law and the grace of God. And mm-hmm. I thought the cross is that. I mean, like mm-hmm. the we we don't have grace without law. We don't have law. I mean, like there's there's such a a connection there between law and grace. And I think we often forget that. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is that the cross changes makes the law into a into a gracious means for us Mm -hmm. because it points us to what pleases god and for the first time because the spirit of god indwells us we're actually able to obey with right motives and right actions so yeah yeah, justification does that work for us and then the law shows us the path of sanctification but we don't actually get we won't get to that in in god of deliverance yeah i was gonna say we don't quite get to that but i do feel like the story of deliverance um, sets us up well for the mm-hmm. Ten Commandments um, because if you think about it, like these are people that were in slavery and now they are coming out and they are free to some extent. Like they no longer have someone telling them what to do all the time. And so in that way, the law was a grace because like you said, when we have like freedom in the sense that we like to think of it, that is kind of debilitating because you're just like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Like, I don't know. And and so they needed a way to, they needed a law in order to function, in order to like um, live, uh, have abundant life, even in the desert. Um, they needed a way to figure out how to structure their society and how to, you know, not all kill each other and, right. and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I feel like even though we often don't think of the law as gracious, that was so gracious of God to be like, I'm going to help you set up your society and tell you how to do things um, because you've never had to do this. Um, You know, these generations of people have never had to figure all this out on their own. And so um, I think that's such a gracious look at like a different way to frame it in our minds is to look at it as a, as a gracious act. Well, and and the law that is given to them, you're exactly right. Those first 18 chapters are what prepare our hearts and they prepare Israel for the receiving of the law. He doesn't give them the law when they're still bound in Egypt because they couldn't obey it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way they could have obeyed it. He instead draws them out and then gives them a law code that is in stark contrast to the laws of the Egyptians. I mean, think about, let's just talk about two of the Ten Commandments. The Israel knows that they've just come from a culture of death, right? Think of the pyramids. You know, this is a okay. this is a culture that uh, worships um, death, um, and their own right. children were being put to death by the ruler of this um, of this nation. And here you have a command that says, "You will not murder." Yeah. And then think about um, the Sabbath command. 
Mm-hmm, These right. people have known no rest. And, 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 and in Egypt, it was, it was toil without ceasing. And yet the God of Israel, Yahweh says, no, rest is a part of my character that I am sending to you, my children. And so the law is not, you know, we hear it as, oh, thundery, angry God. But really what it's doing is it is making space for Israel to understand what it means to live in healthy community and in communion with a God who is good. Um, and, 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 and it's also pointing to the fact that there is only one God, um, right. because as we yeah. see, and I, I, I won't give it away, but in, <laughs> um, Exodus one through 18 is a studied, is a studied record of the overturning of Egyptian gods. Yes. Oh yeah. The plagues. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. points back to what they mm-hmm. worshiped. Absolutely. Right, yeah. Well, even just like, so how the 10 commandments are set up, Jen, and like, even the, the way you did your chapters, um, you kind of, I love the words that you use of undivided, undiminished, untarnished, unhindered. Those kind of focus on the relationship we have with the Lord, but then our relationship with men. I love the way that you over and over again use the word, we honor elders, we honor mm-hmm. life, we honor. Mm-hmm. Tell tell me how you kind of got to that um, kind of divisions and how you, you know, I mean, I know you use the Ten Commandments, but yeah. I just lo- I love the word, you know, the the honor. That, that, that was a great way to put it. You, you've, you've actually honed in on how exactly how lazy I am. I don't even <laughs> want to create my own table of contents. So I just do 10 <laughs> chapters over 10 commandments. It's really true. Uh, but um, I, th- truthfully, all of the 10 commandments are dealing with honor. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first, it depends on how you want to look at it, but the first four to five are dealing with honor uh, of God and authority, uh, human authority, like those who are above us. And then, um, five ish through 10, again, depending on how you read it are dealing with, uh, honoring one another. We move into the one another's, mm-hmm. um, which gosh, doesn't that sound a lot like the great commandment? Yes. <laughs> um, but in those earliest four, where we're talking about, uh, the way that we relate to God, I wanted the untarnished undimin. I wanted the, the purity language, Mm-hmm. Uh, in there to 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 heighten our sense that you hear the word honor like oh you should honor God and we're like yeah 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 I do that like I pray before I eat and whatever and mm-hmm. it's like no 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 mm-hmm. no we're talking about you know you you pledge allegiance to this God this is this is the one who you're you're willing to set a, set aside everything for um, there's a there's a quote um, by a well known theologian um, he he says um, your justification will cost you nothing, but your sanctification will cost you everything. Mm. Um, and that's actually also a pretty unpopular idea in Christian culture. Mm. We want right. to get saved and then we just, and I'm so happy, so very <laughs> happy. Uh, but sanctification is hard work. And um, I think what we're seeing in the first four commandments in particular is, uh, you know, I've drawn you, you've been reborn, you know, as we're going to see with the nation of Israel, you've been reborn. And um, now the raising you to maturity is going to be a work of discipline. Uh, it's a good work. And I'm going to be here with you. My presence will go with you as this work occurs. Yeah, I think that um, 
yeah, I, I can't wait to dive in. I just got the book yesterday in the mail, so I haven't had a chance to dive into it. But, well, I do, um, I do think. Yeah, I mean, full I, disclosure to the podcast listeners. Cancel all your plans. Yeah. I know. <laughs> no. Well, even just when you talked about undivided allegiance, I mean, I got to kind of go through the book just a little bit, but just even just your illustration of how, what, you know, where do we put our allegiances? And, you know, you use kind of the fun illustration of Texas because you're from Texas. And <laughs> Someone who has, you know, lived in Oklahoma all of her life. We live in the shadow of the Texans. Who everything is bigger, everything is better. And I was like, oh, the whole time I'm like, yep, yep, that so describes the Texan, you know. Um, but we do. I mean, those those allegiances really do speak to what's in our hearts. And isn't that where, you know, everything kind of comes out? I mean, when when Scripture talks about what the overflow mm-hmm. of our heart, that is, mm-hmm. that's just the mark of who, who we, you know, what we're being every, every single day and the sanctification Absolutely. that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jen, since the subject of your new book and your new Bible study both revolve around the book of Exodus in the Bible, we want to ask our usual question with a bit of a twist. <laughs> so what about reading and studying Exodus has marked you in your walk with Christ? Um, I think that I have been able to make my peace with how law and grace relate to one another. Mm-hmm. I think as a parent, I understood that um, you needed you needed high rules and high relationship. You know, that was the goal was mm-hmm. to to um, to give children, you start with external controls and as they get older, they internalize them. You know, that you want, by the time they leave your home, you shouldn't still be telling them what to do. It should be written on their hearts. They should have a mechanism for making good choices on their own. And so seeing that as a parent made a lot of sense, but seeing it as a child of God, I don't think had hit me as deeply as it could have. Um, and the law is written on our hearts. It, it, it gets, sort of layered over with, um, with, with our own desire to self-rule, you know, we want to be self-determining and we want to do things our way. And we, just as Adam and Eve, we, we consistently, um, wonder if there isn't, if our way wouldn't be better. Mm. And, um, Mm. what the story of Exodus tells us is that, um, God has, this is not, um, it is not to, it is not to crush us or to, um, uh, 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 contain us. It is actually to set us free, mm. uh, to live as we were created to be. This is the thing that kept coming back to me over and over again, is that in the new Jerusalem, the law will be perfectly obeyed. Mm. And in Eden, the law was perfectly obeyed. And so, uh, anytime we think, um, gosh, I wish we could just go back to Eden or oh, I can't wait until we're in the new Jerusalem. What we're really longing for is that we would perfectly obey God's law, which is what Christ has imaged for us. Right. Right. Um, and so when we say, boy, I just want to be more like Jesus, what we should be thinking is I want to be obedient to the law that he obeyed perfectly mm-hmm. because that's how you're going to look like him. Mm-hmm. And again, not to earn anything, the time for earning is behind us. All earning has been accomplished in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we are so grateful, uh, we want to look like the one who has given us this precious gift. And to do that, we follow the law. 
That's so good. Well, I am just, we are both really excited about um, not only just the new book that's come out and that um, people can pick up, and we'll have links to that in our show notes, but also the new study of God of Deliverance. And we're really glad that in the timing of the Lord, like everything is kind of coming out about the same time. So that's exciting. And you're going to be at some of our Life of Women Live events this year, correct? Yes. Oh, dear Lord, let's have it. Let's have an event, guys. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Yes, let's have an event. I'm so ready. So ready. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast again. I know you've been, you know, we we love having you on here. And I know our listeners just, they love doing your studies and reading your books. So we really do thank you for your ministry. You've been such a gift um, to the church in general. And so we, we really do appreciate that. What are some things that we can be praying for you in the months ahead? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, we're heading into, we're going to be putting out the second half of the Exodus study. So that means I'm going to need to wrap my head around um, the last 22 chapters uh, between now and when we film that this summer. And, um, and we were talking about, I have a child getting married this summer too. So, you know, I'm wondering like, how are we going to do? Yeah. How (laughs) are we going to do all that? So basically if I live to August, I'm going to be light as a feather. We'll see (laughs) about that. So yeah, I think if you wouldn't mind, just pray that I will be able to manage my time well and, um, and, and just, you know, do right by these, this good commitment that's ahead of me. I really, um, gosh, man, I just want, I want these passages to come alive for women mm-hmm. and, and I want them to see that in me before they look for it in themselves. So yeah, yeah pray for, for sure. that. We'll definitely, definitely be praying for that. Thank you. Well, thanks so much again. And we're going to wrap it up for this particular episode. And thank you listeners for joining us every week. And we hope you'll join us again. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heinemann. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.